This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This is the podcast where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I get the special bonus of talking to two people, although at first it may not seem like it. I was able to talk with Scott Stratton on marketing, as well as Allison Kramer, who comes in a little bit later into the interview. She wasn't feeling well and then Surprise was able to join, so that was super awesome. If you know me, then you know that aside from productivity, I'm also very much involved with social media and marketing and sales and customer service and technology and all these other things that are kind of all intertwined. And I see productivity as intertwined with them in the sense that the way that we go about productivity And doing the right things is very much strategy and priorities and changing of perspective, again, because it doesn't really matter if you know all the things that could be done or should be done if they're not the right things to do. It's more about doing the right things than it is doing lots of things. And if you hear any message from this episode, it is that one. It is not all about growth for growth's sake. It's not all about doing more. It's about doing fewer and better sometimes. And that's very much apparent with how Scott and Allison have prioritized the way they go about their unmarketing business. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. I know I did because the Unpodcast is one of my favorite podcasts. I'll get out of the way and let you listen, but first let me tell you that this episode is brought to you by MailChimp. Thanks again to MailChimp, found at beyondthetodolist.com slash MailChimp. Some people come to learning about productivity because they want to get rid of the monkey on their back, that they're not getting enough done, that they're not doing things the right way, that they're not doing things as good as they could be when they come to do their work. Well, when it comes to email, one of the best ways to get that monkey off your back is to replace it with a chimp. MailChimp is one of the easiest ways and best ways figuring out your email list, collecting names, creating mobile-friendly, really great-designed emails to your subscriber list. Listeners of the Beyond the To-Do List podcast can hop on over there and check them out by going to beyondthetodolist.com slash MailChimp. They've got video tutorials. They've got a bunch of new features that if I listed them all off, you would turn the podcast off. Again, if you've gotten an email from me from the show, it's from MailChimp. You can go down, you know, look in the bottom. It says powered by MailChimp. So there you go. Anyway, go check out MailChimp beyond the to-do list.com slash MailChimp. Let's get to the rest of the show. This week, I get to welcome Scott Stratton, unmarketing to the podcast. Welcome, Scott. Thank you for having me, Eric. It's always a pleasure. Okay, so... Unfortunately, Allison couldn't be here, but, uh, you, you know, as you said, the better half, prettier half, although your beard is 
pretty kicking. So, I, I, well, it's like we we always talk to Allison about our we have a gyo, a joint bio. Like <laughs> together, we are gorgeous and intelligent. We have two degrees; she has both of them, and we have a, a epic beard. So, you know, it's a combo. It's a group thing together. I have to say, I just had a mental picture of her with a beard, and that's not good. <laughs> I'm sorry, Allison. If you ever hear this, that's just wrong. Somebody out there is doing Photoshop. Photoshop. Fan art now for the Unpodcast. Speaking of which, okay, so the Unpodcast, which isn't the first thing I found of you. Actually, let me go back. Let me let me go back to what oh seven oh eight. When did you do the Twitter experiment? When you lived on Twitter, when was that? Uh, I joined in oh eight, but the Twitter experiment was January oh nine. Okay, I'm pretty sure it was after that point that you did the experiment. When I found you online, I was just getting interested in the whole. Hey, social media is a thing you need to know about. Everyone must know now. Everyone must learn. And, right. and uh, you know, not to like blow smoke or do compliment vaping. How about that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been, you know, following you since somewhere in 2009, I believe, on Twitter and reading the books since you started and just have always kind of said, okay, this is a guy who gets it, that, that your perspective, your that you're looking at it through a different lens than a lot of the the other marketers and hence the unmarketing phraseology. So let let's break that down a little bit. What is this unmarketing originally and now unselling with the new book? What is that un standing for in your mind? Well, it started like 12 years ago when I was going to create the company on marketing. And I, I originally picked the name for a couple of reasons, but one, I thought it would look good on a book cover eventually. I just thought it was a, a really, when you're marketing, you know, your brain's about hooks all the time. And I just thought it was a good hook. I, I was frustrated to, to use the word lightly about marketing. It was just, it was all this kind of, we called it back then, we called it push and pray, you know, push out a bunch of messages and pray somebody buys. And back then we said, you, you need to pull and stay. You need to pull people into your content funnel and stay in front of them with great content, with great connection, with everything. So it was like, it was like content marketing and and engaging online before content marketing and social media were terms. You know, we were just doing this. I know yourself included. We were just doing this because that's what you did. You know, and, and uh, so we did a lot of word of mouth stuff. We you know created those cheesy viral videos, and then you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine came along, and it was just like this this Twitter's side of things. MySpace was kind of you know, turn, changing its angle a bit. And I said, you know what, this is exactly what I've been talking about. Uh, but now it's got a name, you know, now it's got social media. So unmarketing on selling is all about not selling in a hypocritical way, not marketing in a hypocritical way, but marketing the way you like to be marketed to. And then, you know, with the new side of things, with a new book with unselling, unselling really comes out with a point of, it's like everything except the actual transaction itself. And, and what I mean by that, I've been a sales training manager. I've been involved with a lot of angles from B to B to B to C in sales. And there was so much focus on getting that sale, the transaction, and not a lot of focus on what led up to it and not any focus on what happened after the sale. It was simply pretty much you bought and then we're on to the next one. So I believe that's what Jay-Z was, was rapping about and on to the next one. It was just like on to the next, <laughs> on to the next sale, on to the next sale. And it was you just kind of take your current clients and customers for granted. Yet on the other side of things, everybody in sales and all books are all about it's about people and relationships and long term and word of mouth. Well, how exactly do you think you get word of mouth by doing things worth talking about, by treating your clients and your customers like they are gold because they are? We spend, you know, pick a pick a survey, 
you know, I, it's ten times as much to get a new customer as it does to get, you know keep a current one. But we're not do, we, we consider customer service overhead. We don't consider customer service part of sales, which I think it's one of the biggest part of sales. Is is that's why it's unselling. The better we treat them, especially when things go wrong, we are more likely to have them buy again from us, and that's really where unselling comes under. Okay, so are you familiar with the movie? Uh Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Of course. Always be closing. Yes. Uh, just, I just watched it again two, three days ago, and I yeah. couldn't help but just cringe watching it, as, as probably most people who, who have any marketing experience at all or, or cold calling sales kind of experience. And really? it's, it's, it's just a terrific movie, but it, it just identifies so much the, the almost strip mining sense, you know, mentality that, most businesses have had for a long time. There's even, uh, let's see, the Ed Harris character and the Alan Arkin character yeah. are sitting talking about, you know, the leads right. and after the, after the amazing Alec Baldwin monologue. And they're talking back and forth and they're saying, you know, it used to be about how uh, you, you'd learn to sell a guy a car, you know, many cars over 15 years, not just one car right now, you yeah. know. And that's where you know a coffee is for closers. You know, it's just it's just such a it's it, it, the the scary thing about this Eric about that film, it's a documentary. Really, oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's there's no exaggeration in this film. Baldwin is absolutely brilliant in this thing, and as, as as is everybody in that film. And it's a documentary. It that's how things still work today. Just just change, swap out the industry, keep mm-hmm. the same industry. You can pick it. It's the same thing. It's a it's that boiler room almost mentality of of just. You know, grabbing those leads and then trying to do the one-off sale and promising and the old sales over-promising and under-delivering because once I get the sale, once I get my commission, it's not my problem. And you know, and, and there's and there's a segment of the world and there's a segment of businesses where you know what, okay, that 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 happens, that works. You'll probably never see your customer again. You know, you got you're, you're hustling, right? You got to be selling. It's like. You know, it's like we were just in, you know, we were talking before we came on the air with, you know, we just on holiday in Costa Rica. And there's guys on the beach hustling product. You know what? Their customer service doesn't necessarily matter because we're going to be gone probably. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right. they're, so they're, they're, they're ABC. They're always be closing. They're just going to see, you got to sell, 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 sell. And it's about moving product and there's nothing else. Okay, fine. So if you're a guy on the beach selling whatever product that is, maybe not necessarily it's going to be a big, uh, big unselling side of things. But if you're not, you know, wandering the beach selling legal and sometimes illegal products to people, then I think that it matters that the, 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 the story, this to me, the sales story, which is a, has a, has an opening, has a middle and has an ending. You choose when that ending happens. And that's a big part uh, of, uh, I'm going to have to go watch that movie by again, again, by the way, you've just, you just made my brain want to go see it again because it's that brilliant. Then I just have to, it's that ABC and that's the, but that's the mentality I'm, I go up against opposite. Right. And that's where because that's all I would see. Sales is about the close. And you got to get the close and you got to do, do the follow ups. And if you if you email seven times, you eventually you'll just browbeat them down until they say, OK, I'll buy. And I just think there's a different, a better way and uh, a more kinder way. You know, there's a way to sell with still having a soul. Oh, yes, yes, exactly. And really what we're getting at is you're saying pretty much don't treat people as numbers, treat them as humans. And I know that sounds very you know, touchy feely or emotional or whatever. But honestly, some of the times that when I'm listening, your podcast has probably been <laughs> the pod, the well, I'll say the business podcast because probably there's some other ones that out there, but that have gotten me 
choked up at times. And and actually and and actually I don't feel bad saying that or confessing that in front of an audience that can't interact right now while we're recording this. <laughs> but because I know you've done the same thing where you've kind of gotten choked up because you've seen these wonderful examples of quote unquote brands or businesses, which really in the end are a group of people banded together for the same objective. And they're not treating people like numbers. They're treating people like people. The, sto- the stories we tell as consumers, as clients, the stories we tell do not come out of handbooks. They do not come out of mission statements. They do not come out of the, the brief that your creative team came up with. They come out of human moments. And one of the stories that's in on selling we've told on the Young Podcast where I got choked up as well was the, the Jedi story at yes. Disney, right? Where the, the mother has a son who's autistic and he's just a, a Star Wars obsessed. And they went to the, and we've been to this place at Disney in the Star Wars area. And the kid came up and, uh, you know, and he just, he was focused, he was engaged, he was ready. And he, all he talked about was this. And then I, I believe it was raining. It started to rain and they had to cancel and they had to close it. And the mother, you know, wrote this, you know, obviously incredible piece about how this is going to have repercussions for months because he's fixated on this event. And one of the the cast members who's part of the Star Wars team noticed it and asked him to to take the kid into one of the – almost like the Dagobah area of the the Star Wars area. And, you know, he was a a Jedi to the the child and he gave him a, a lightsaber that was Darth Vader's lightsaber and said, this is, you know, this is yours now and you need to. You know, you need to to, to take this and, 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 and you have the universe now. Like it made it the greatest special moment. It took five minutes. It took five minutes for a guy to notice somebody was in distress and say, you know what? It's my job to make people's day. He didn't do it because it was in a handbook. And of course, it, you, you, you literally, with no exaggeration, with, with no kind of hubris here, it, it, you change the child's life. And it changes, obviously, then the mother's life, but then also just – on the, on the side of business, it changes the brand in so many people's eyes. We, we remember two things about brands, always. We remember the most recent interaction we've had with them and the most extreme one we've had or we've heard. And so for me with Disney, it's always this Jedi story that I read and also the most recent. So the thing is unselling and, and, and creating stories is very individual based. Companies want to be one brand. We are just we are all this one, but it's every interaction, good or bad, by the way, we relate back to an individual in that company, which is why individuals need to know, and Disney does a great job of this. They need those staff members, those cast members, those frontline people to know that they are the brand. That this the word Disney changed it. And Allison put out a few months ago, you know, when I say Disney, what do you think? And people had a million different things from terrible to amazing. But that's the point. We all look at brands differently. And I'll never forget that Disney story. And that's only one of hundreds, if not thousands of life moments that regular people have made for others because they thought, you know what, that's my job to do that. We talked about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that movie. I want to contrast it. It almost sounds like you very much say, hey, don't do that. But hey, maybe do this. Are you familiar with Miracle on 34th Street? Of course. And whichever version 
the old version or the more recent right. version, which is still very old now at this point. Jesus, it is. <laughs> we're, 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 we're getting old. Man. Yes. Um, where Chris Kringle is directing different shoppers to other stores because those stores have what they need. Yeah. And he doesn't care. He, like, he, he doesn't have a loyalty. I mean, it, he doesn't have brand loyalty in that sense of, no, let me give you whatever we have here. He's like, no, whatever you need, I'm going to tell you where it is, even if it's somewhere else. And so it starts to cause this this uproar where management wants to fire him because what he's doing doing uh, is sending people elsewhere. And that's their myopic view of it. But then other people start to realize that what he's doing is is garnering so much goodwill and publicity because he's treating people as people. He's treating them – in other words, he's got the priority of putting the focus where it should be, on the people. One of the first stories we ever put in the first book, in Unmarketing, in 2010, was that story about – which many people use, which is you know, Zappos, where their call center is empowered to refer people, customers to other companies, other websites – if they don't have the product in hand, they, will, they won't tell them to go somewhere else. They won't say go to Amazon. They will find the link and email it to the person saying, I'm sorry we didn't have your item in stock. I'm sorry we didn't or we don't carry your item. Here's the direct link to go buy this here somewhere else. That, it's, it's not just Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. It's, it's, it's companies that realize we are in this for the long sale. We are in this for the long lifetime value of this consumer because you know that customer will go away and saying, I, I can't just believe I, I can't believe they did that. Because even online is even more so. If I send you to a retail store, it's like, well, if eight blocks up that way, you know, in Manhattan, which could take you seven hours to get to, it's that you know, it's it's that if you have to walk and go, you might not go. Online, it could be an online chatter on the phone and I email it to you, that's instant. That's so much confidence in your service and your product that you have no problem Sending them elsewhere if you don't have what they need. And that, again, is like the anti-Glengarry Glen Ross side of things that we don't have what you want, but we'll give you something we've got. Even if it's swampland right. that's useless in Florida. And it happens in real <laughs> estate, too. I've, I've been I'm speaking at a real estate uh, a national event on Thursday. I spoke at two last week. And I try to tell people that there's a difference in real estate of trust and community, which is are you trying to sell a home that you have a listing for? Or are you trying to sell the home that is best for them? Right, that's two different worlds. That really is two different things. Of course, you want to sell the houses that you list, but are you there? You know, are you repping repping them as a as a buyer, or are you trying to get your your property sold yourself? And that's that's a mindset as well. Because I had somebody once at one real estate which had a conference that snapped at me, which a lot of people do. I don't, I'm not sure why, <laughs> but I was talking about things like Trulia and stuff, where it's like an app where I go. We were in Vegas and Summerlin, and we were looking at properties there. And so we're from Canada. We're from, not even from the country. And we're searching it. And I press, you know, proximity search. It shows us all the houses that are available. And we can look around. And I brought that up. And uh, um, a broker at an event's like, do you know that Trulia doesn't list all the homes available? Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than three. 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. 
In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity, from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and I'm intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com, to learn more. In a spiteful way, because he doesn't want us using it. And I looked at him and saying, do you know that you don't share all the homes available either? And he just kind of froze at me and <laughs> stared. I'm like, do you know who I think I am? Like, I know how this works. So it's amazing that um, uh, uh, are we putting customer first? Are we putting us first? Now, again, it, like you said, it sounds kind of almost warm and fuzzy and stuff, but it's not. It's a it's it's connection isn't uh, um, a cheesy word, and and, uh, and and trust isn't a cheesy. If you believe that sales is built on you know knowing and liking and trusting a person, depending on especially depending on the transaction where something like buying a home. Buying, you know, life insurance. Buying, uh, um, you know, hiring a, a nanny. Something like these lawyer and accountant. There's a high trust gap in these areas. A very wide one. And if we do things to create it, like uh, uh, as an example, we have an accountant now, and he's and I we need some stuff done for U.S. and Canada things. And he's like, well, it's not our specialty, um, um, but we have some people I can refer you to. That makes me trust him more because he's sending me outside of him. But to make sure that I get the best service possible, which means I know I want to keep him for what I need him to do. Yeah. You say this in the book. Customers don't stop being important once they've bought from you. And right. I think we forget that. They become more important. Yeah. Because now they're in the world. Like it's just this whole – we see this funnel. We, like, we look at the sales funnel. And one of the things we try to do with on selling is kind of you know, break open the funnel and realize that the funnel isn't like you know they get through it once they've bought. There's a whole – process and a whole world of, of the, the post-purchase. And, and especially like in a B2B world, people think it's, you know, there's very high-end transactions and a you know, very low amount of potentially clients, but we still refer to them as leads and numbers and just pull them through the system when there are, our barrier to entry is done. And so we should be treating them even better than, but it's like dating. I've always found that it's dating, especially in the, you know, the B2B world where, you know, it's before you're actually dating, you know, you're trying to court each other and compliment each other. But now you've been dating for a year or two. You're like, eh. You know, uh, it's like it, it starts off, I love you. I love you too. I love you more. 
And now it's like, I hate you, I hate you too, but you're going to stay because, hey, it's easier than finding somebody else. And that's where a lot of customers and clients are, are in this apathetic world of, well, I'm not really happy with them, but it's going to take a lot for me to move. That's not a good place to have your customers. That's not a, well, we're, we're at least the, the best choice out of, you know, tolerance of frustration, to change. That's how most life insurance places work. That's how most car insurance is. The barrier to switching, they think, is higher than the actual, ah, they'll just pay anyways because it's monthly and who cares? And that, it's not a good strategy to me. And anytime, not just now, but any day, any year, it's not the best way to do it. I want referrals only come from ecstatic customers, not static customers. Ecstatic people refer and sell you more people. And if referrals are the lowest, cost because usually there is none and the highest rate of sending you qualified quote leads why the hell are we not doing everything possible to make those mouths move i know i'm repeating myself and i know i'm getting angry but it's i'm (laughs) I'm so passionate about this point that i'm i'm let's be honest i'm lucky most people don't think this way or i'd have no job right but it's just it's it's so frustrating that i've been saying the same thing for you know, five years on stage that it's just that people just don't, well, what's, what's the newest technique? You know, am I going to be going on, on, on what, what's the new social network? It just came out and everybody's wanting invites. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Scott, what's your, what's your strategy for Ello? Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying hello to Ello at any point in time. I, I don't, <laughs> because everybody will come up to me and say, what's your, what, they'll say that question. What's your Ello strategy? And when, when, when WhatsApp was so, what's your WhatsApp strategy? I'm just like, I'm going to punch you all in, my fa- in the face. That's my strategy to start. Because it's not about the platforms, right? It's, you, you have to clean up your own house first. You have to be – that nobody will share or connect. It doesn't matter if your business isn't set up right, if your customer service isn't set up right, if your, your product or your service isn't the best it could be. These things are just kind of almost like peripheral things, like outside of it, on, on the edge of what we should be doing. I Look, I love social. I love digital. I'm a huge geek. I've been online since '94. Right. I've seen every site on the internet, and like I mean, like every site on the internet, and I, I, I don't understand, you know, this incredible push, that whole, you know, uh, uh, you know, the whole, you know, feeling, you know, you know, left behind. I don't want to be left out, and I got to be on and give me an invite. I'm like, it's everybody's on Facebook talking about this new site. I'm like, what? Go talk about it over there. <laughs> like, I don't have time to keep up with these things, Eric, and I, I don't have a job. Like, this is all I do, and I can't keep up with it. I can't imagine people who do real work, that they have to put up with people like me who sit there and go, here's the next seven sites. Remember what I said last year? Screw it. Now you got to be over here. Like, you know what? Maybe I was wrong on that Google Wave thing. Okay, well, let's get off that now. And maybe this one didn't work so well. Well, I know I told you last year Google Plus was the new thing, but now you got to be here. We just stop. It's this we, – we just want to – we want to hyper-connect so much that what we're doing is not connecting anywhere because we're on seven sites. If I see one more of my friends or, quote, colleagues, when they put an update and it automatically hits Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, and now the new sites, what happens is I just stop connecting with you and I remove you. And that, that's not the point. It's, not the, it's, it's like the age-old networking side of things. You're not supposed to go to 25 networking events and hand out 100 cards at each. Go to one and hand out five. You know, make the connection with these people. You just we run ourselves ragged digitally, that we we can't. We're so busy trying to connect with everybody, we connect with nobody. 
Ugh. You, well, you, that, know, you know my touch points. Oh, you're, you're oh just, I do. I, I do. In fact, I'm going to go to one right now that you're, you've just <laughs> taken us to, which is – and you and I have actually talked about this uh, a little bit once before yeah. with Cliff Ravenscraft on yeah. his podcast Answer Man show about muting our noise. Yeah. That – I mean we, we – he and – Cliff and I were bit, both sitting in your keynote at NMX earlier this year in January and we're tw- we're, tw- we're, t- we're tweeting back and forth while we're listening to you like oh my gosh he's saying the stuff that we've been saying this is so awesome it's validated by an expert blah 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 and <laughs> um so you came on and we talked about this and let's talk about this a little bit because i think this is one of the obviously since this is quote unquote a productivity show right. you you don't have a job but your time is precious correct and even more so because you're your boss or Allison's your boss or however you want to put it. <laughs> the second. Thing, yeah. Yes. And so you can't waste your time. So you sitting on Twitter all day, every day, retweeting other people, tweeting good things about you or creating buffered tweets and all this other stuff. Just the no- signal to noise ratio was off and you decided to do something about it so you wouldn't waste your time on social anymore on on multiple accounts. You did it on Twitter, you've right. been doing it on LinkedIn. I was sitting there like a lot of us in the social circles saying it's just it's too noisy, it's too noisy, it's too noisy. And then I realized I, we create the noise. We choose to overfollow. We choose to overfriend. We choose to overconnect, and then we sit back and go, "Why is it so noisy?" I'm like, well, it's like me putting Metallica on in my office right here. You know, uh, anything before the Black Album, and I put it on, and I put it like to like eleven, and then I'm sitting there and I complain that the noise, the the, the music's too loud. Like, we made the noise. That's the problem. We do this hyper connection thing in like 2010, 11, 12. We're all just it's like a land grab. You know, how many connections, how many friends, how many, you're talking to a guy who has his number of followers in his bio. Like this is, this is what it's like. And it's this huge land grab for social, just the numbers. Let's show it. I wish, I really wish to be honest with you that Twitter never showed the number of followers mm. you know, that because yeah. it, cre- it created a land grab and it created this quantity side of things where then obviously then the, you know, the bots come in and the follow auto follows things. So I realized I'm making this noise. I'm following the noise and I'm contributing to the noise. So I realized, okay, so I, I was at like 4,500 friends on Facebook. I have four friends, I think, in real life. <laughs> like really, to be honest with you, I think I have four, maybe three, four or three. And so I went through one by one over the past year and a half unfriending people that I actually realized I didn't know. Like, I, you know, I, uh, if I met somebody in the conference, uh, uh, yourself and Cliff and stuff, I consider you guys friends. Then. We connected. You know, we, 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 we tolerate each other. We're, we're good. So that's a friend. I, I can deal with that. That's fine. They don't have to be living in my neighborhood. But people who I don't – when I look at their picture, I don't recognize them. I don't recognize their name. They're not a friend. And so I have deleted uh, over 3,000 friends on Facebook with minimal blowback, with minimal emails to my office and everything. But why I'm friend of them? But uh, – and then on Twitter – I have no hope. I, you know, I follow 35,000 people. And the only reason I follow 35,000 people is because when I started, I used uh, social oomph to auto follow back everybody who followed me. I thought it was kind and a courtesy and I thought that was connecting and it really, it just made noise. So now I use a, you know, a hidden lists called awesome sauce. I have like 80 people on it and I follow them. Uh, and then same thing with LinkedIn. I just realized I was adding and accepting connections because I wanted to be connected. It's not connected. And so now I love Facebook now. I didn't before because now my stream is full of people I like that I want to see. People say, I don't want to see food pictures or, you know, pictures of your dog or you or I'm like, well, people I like, I do. And we don't care about people's food unless we care about them. 
And then I want to know about that dish you made. I'm not going to make it, but you know, I could, I could see it. <laughs> and once we remove relevance, we remove why are we doing it. That, that's what happened with me with Foursquare. I realized I'm checking into places. And it was funny because like the, the kind of the, the, the lifespan of me on Foursquare, when I started getting some, some fake online popularity, I started to check into places when I'd go speak at conferences and the people would show up. Like, well, this is, this is awkward. You know, I didn't. I just was having coffee, and then two people show up randomly. Hey, we saw you were here. I'm like, this is weird. It's like four stalker. So <laughs> I start. Then I started checking in once I was leaving. You know, hey, was you know Scott was here, like W U Z, right? Like Scott was here, and I, I run away. But then I realized last year, I think or so, I just was checking in somewhere, and I went, what? Why am I doing this? I had no idea why I was doing it anymore. I understood about South by when we, you know, friends were there, and then I'd, I'd see where they were, and I could go kind of, hey, then we could connect, and that was the purpose of it. But I had no, I had no reason to do it. There was no more relevance to me, and I just deleted it. Well, and for the most part, like if you're at a conference, the people you want to see, you're already following yeah. on whatever your preferred social network is, or. Literally, they've got your phone number. You've given that. You've they've given you. You've given them that that precious gateway yeah. texting. Yeah. To to you. So my brother says my brother who's one of the only men not on the internet. I love that. Right. You know he's he's smart. He's he knows tech. He's a producer. He does he does Pro Tools. He's he knows how to use everything. He just doesn't. And I'm like, dude, why? You know, why aren't you using Facebook? Why aren't you doing this? And he's like, everybody who I want to talk to knows how to get a hold of me. Like that's it. That's his theory. I'm like, that's I yearn for that. You know, I uh, I would honestly, to be totally transparent with you, I I, I probably would have left Twitter already, uh, because of, but that was self inflicted because of the noise. I just stopped enjoying it because it was just so noisy, so much spam, so much automation. So then I said, okay, I got to save Twitter for myself because I've made this problem. And so I went and we talked about this on with with with, with you and Cliff was that. I use uh, Tweetbot as my app. It sounds spammy, but it's just an, an iPhone app for Twitter as a management tool. And I went in and I started muting things, and that saved Twitter for me. I muted any automated tweets, so uh, Buffer and uh, I even did Hootsuite, which you know I risk losing some replies in it, but it's a lot of scheduling. Um, Triber, all these things, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook. So anything that was synced oh, between the two platforms. Yes. And now, man, that's cleared my 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 whole stream there. And people say, well, I, why wouldn't you want to see Instagram pictures? I said, because I'll see them on Instagram. Like when I log <laughs> in there, I'll see them there. And I don't need to see them everywhere. And now almost all the tweets I see in my awesome sauce, my hidden list, are all real time. Now, I'm not saying like, using Buffer or something is bad. You're the sheriff. You do your social the way you want to. And I'm guilty of trying to be the sheriff and telling people how they're supposed to. You do it your way. But what I, from Scott here, what I view social as is especially, especially Twitter, is real-time conversation. That's what I want from Twitter. That's what I originally loved about Twitter in 09 was that we'd log in and if Eric tweets something, you're there. And if you said something about – if you said something about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I would reply back and say always be closing. And you would reply back in 10 seconds because you were sitting there. That's what I want for social personally. So that's what I realized I had to set back. And now I'm back to loving it. And I was ready to break up with it. So that was – but I had to control it. And that muting function saved Twitter for me. I want to talk a little bit about kind of jumping off of that point 
we've got a lot of people who they would refer to themselves. I don't know how you refer to I mean, we've, you mentioned Jay-Z earlier and he's all, you know, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. And I'm like, I hate that <laughs> quote because I don't like people thinking of the, themselves as businesses because they're human beings. And that's right. where we get into the treating people like numbers. But anyways, um, let's think of it this way, that, that personal brand I'm air quoting or, uh, you know, an, in a solopreneur, again, words that I, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> a business person, I don't know. People, businesses that are scaled to very small scale, whether it's an individual or a very small team or whatever. And, and we want to be online and ready and present and treat people like people. And, you know, like on Twitter, we want to be there to immediately respond and things like that. I mean, you get right. pushback on be a human all the time. It's like, but how? How can I do that? I don't yep. have the time. And I'm like, yep. oh. Yeah, How I, do you I, respond to that? How do you scale that? How does being human scale, I guess? I, I just think that it's – first of all, you don't have to do a lot of these things. When people think they're they're obligated or it's mandatory, they're on five platforms or whatever it's going to be, it's it's not scalable. That's good. We don't want to try to scale. I don't think conversation you know, is a campaign. I don't think that Connections is scalable and it should never be to that point. So you have to look at it and say, what, you know, what are my priorities? If Do I find connecting? Let's say on Twitter, do I find connecting on Twitter important? Well, then I have to, to, to carve out that time to do it. That's how I did it. I, I realized that virtual connecting was important for my, quote, brand and my business. And back then I was consulting. So I could, you know, the more I was in front of people who needed marketing help, the better anyways. So I realized this is an important part of my business. I need to schedule time to do this. If you don't think it's important for your business or somebody's telling you you should be, you'll never find the time. And not even talking about scalable, you just don't – you will never do it well. You'll just sync, automate, and set it and forget it. And that's not the way that we need to do these things. You're not scalable. I get it. But what is scalable or at least delegatable, if that's a word, is looking at your stuff and saying, what do I, what, what do I not need to do? Right, And that was a big thing for me in business was realizing – being kind of a lifelong entrepreneur side of things is that you know you always do everything and I get bootstrapping I understand this we're a very small shop here but for me it was seeing okay what do I what am I not good at and I realized this is the most important thing I ever realized I don't want to improve my weaknesses it's a big thing for entrepreneurs to hear and to say I don't want to we always you know we go through school we go through life trying to improve everything I don't want to get better at stuff I don't want to do I want to get great at the stuff I'm good at. So then I'd have to find people that were good or great at the stuff I didn't do. So I've had Karen, I've had my, my uh, coordinator of awesome for coming up 10 years next month. She's been with me and she does all the stuff on that side and the admin side of things and the emails and the phone calls that was really dragging my time down. Uh, she does that. Allison does, she's, she's my, uh, you know, not only co-host in, in life and on the podcast and everything. She also, she's a brilliant writer. I don't like writing. I think I'm okay at it, but she's brilliant. And so from book one, she was the one who started writing and typing and I would say things and she would take 10 of my words and make it into a, 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 a thousand brilliant ones. And we realized we're a great team. And that's where you get to the point where we're always so much about, we got to do it ourselves. Bootstrapping does not mean taking on everything you know it means doing it smart doing it you know uh, uh frugally but it doesn't mean necessarily saying well i've got to do everything because it just bogs down the, i here's my my confession of of the sixth confession i've made <laughs> on this show is that i am the biggest bottleneck to productivity for unmarketing me because i i don't like work 
like doing stuff, like the, the, the tasks. So I had to get out of that thing to remove the bottleneck. I was the, like the, the jam inside of it. I was just jammed in there and just take Scott out. Wee, it flows like for the unpodcast. So we took Cliff's course, loved it. And, and did it, and I learned how to do everything and realized I'm not going to do these things because I'm going to be the bottleneck. So this is why if you go watch or listen to the unpodcast, we, we go to a studio, we have a, a producer, we have a video team, and we have somebody who does the post uh, write-up of the show and uploads it and syncs it. The only thing Allison and I do for the Unpodcast is we go to the studio, we talk, and we leave. That's it. And we've done 40, 44 episodes. And if you could ask anybody a year ago, could Scott be involved in something that would have to go out every week for a year, it would be no chance. But I removed myself from the ball. I'm like, yeah, sure, there's a cost. But I also see the, the, the benefit from it and the gain from it. And that's why the podcast is produced so well. I don't, my hair isn't usually produced very well, but Allison <laughs> looks great. And you know, we, we, we create, to me, awesome content. But not only that, here's the most important part of that whole rambling run-on thing I've been saying. We love doing it. And that's because we, we love working with each other. But also, there's no part that's a grind. There's no now I got to do the post production. Now I've got to do the edit. Now I got to listen to it all and do a write up of it. We love every part that we do because we only do what we love. Oh, love it. You you gave me more than I was even looking for with that. That was <laughs> that was so awesome. I told you you know how to push my buttons. <laughs> um well, let me ask you this. You guys uh took Cliff's course. I know because I've taken it myself that there's a lot of technical stuff in there. So you learning all that, though, would be you improving your weaknesses, so to speak, like you say you don't want to do. How did you transition over to say, hey, I gotta, we got to get a team? Now that I know all that's involved, you get the team to do it? It was the point where I looked at it and said, this is so much to know, and I need somebody who's, who's specialized in this stuff. I just saw, I looked at the audio stuff and went, that's I, – I just – we found our audio producer that produced the, the audio books for the first two books and – Wayne Cochran is great and said, you need to come help us and do all. And here's all the information that Cliff says you need to do. Take that and go because it was I needed the best the best practices for it. That's why I was willing to do the course and not use the information myself. I could use that in within the team of it. And that was the point. I, so I, I could see the knowledge. I knew it. Mm-hmm. I never I didn't I didn't want to go in and do it because I knew it was just it was a lot. And but also we could do the podcast here. Like I'm, I'm talking to you right now from our from our home office, which is also known as our our bedroom, and we we could record it right here, just plug a microphone and boop, yeah. off we go. Well, you but, sound great. I, and uh, thank you. And uh, um, but we love go- because we we have four kids here, and two dogs and two cats. And for productivity wise, we would never get it done if we did it here. Not just the fact of doing the the the, the legwork and the editing and everything. Your mindset is different. When we have podcast studio day and we record three or four at one go, when we rent a studio and it's ours mm-hmm. for the day and we drive there, when we get in there, our only job is to create great show content. If we did it at home and it was Alice and I and we could, and here's the difference, we could. I've, I've been doing video and audio stuff since high school. I know how to do a lot of this stuff, but – our only job is to be productive in the things that we're talented to do. And that – Alice and I were talking about it last week. It's like it's just different. Your head gets different. Your mind gets different. And there's no stresses of anything else. There's no courier at the door dropping something off. The dogs aren't barking at something. 
And I have no problem with anybody uh, anybody who does it at home. That's, that's how podcasting goes so well is because we can do it with potentially a low barrier to entry. But that wasn't good for our productivity. That wasn't good for our creativity for us because we know us and we know what does and doesn't work. Yep, totally hear you. I'm sitting here at a desk in my own bedroom yeah. and I choose to do this at times when – I know the house is going to be empty. It's just me and the dog. Right. right. And nobody's at the door. So <laughs> it's a big, but it's a big part. And you know when it's forced. Right. Because you know then productivity suffers and creativity suffers. I think they're both together. Well, yeah. Right. right? And that, well, that, it's it, producing. So right. producing sure. art or good work. <laughs> That's good All work of the it. above. <laughs> right. Right. I, I think that well, let me let me talk about this a little bit then. Uh, one of the things that we hate. Uh, it's a strong no. Let's let's go with loathe. One of the things that we loathe about these businesses that are treating people like numbers is the fact that they have these silos. So scaling again down from a bit, a large business to a small one. How have you guys removed the silos in your own business? It's been. I think one of the things is first is the realization that the customers don't see silos. There's no department to a customer. It's simply you and the brand. And for us, it was making sure that whoever was the point of contact had access to the information that's needed. And one of the biggest faults I found people going on Twitter, I know I'm, I'm off to the side of what your question is, but it's, I think it's an important point. I see where you're going, though. Right. Is that, hey, we're going to have somebody else use Twitter. It'll be a PR person or another person. And all their tweets are about saying, um, uh, we're not sure go to the website or call this number or call the store. And there's no, they have no ability to access to information. So although we're scaled really small, you know, it's really just the, the three of us, Alice and I and, and, and Karen done the coordinating, but Karen can get access to either. She knows all the information that needs to be, you know, gotten to, or she has the, you know, she has a direct line on the bat phone to me to get it done. We don't, the last thing you want to do is tell customers they're standing in the wrong line. You know, like, ah, thanks for tweeting, but unfortunately, we actually don't do anything here. You have to go over to the channel that we prefer. And I found with, you know, scaling up or down, you got to make sure that it's almost, there is no uh, transition between departments and no transitions for the brand. Because again, those customers you know, don't ever see it. So how, I'm trying to think, because I, I know the story about Beats yeah. with the headphones and they said, hey, follow us and, and you know, we'll, yeah. we'll DM you and what did they oh they pre-filled out the information they did they knew you already and that was the thing so it's it's that whole crm which for stupid people what does that stand for well i you know i just got this whole customer relation management system right where where you look at it and say okay so here's the quick version of the story where you know i i bought the overpriced beats by dre headphones for two of our kids um because i if we can't give them good education in school we they they can look good (laughs) at school so and uh, Owen, oh, so on Junior, as, as he's known by, uh, his his snapped. They were like the, the mixer ones, so they're big plastic right over the top of the head. And they snapped, or they shattered, actually. And apparently it's a known problem. And I tweeted out, and I just said, you know, hey, awesome. My $300 son's headphones just shattered you know, Beats by Dre. And within minutes, like we were still – we actually brought them into the Apple store. That's where I bought them. And the thing about the Apple store is if you don't – if it's not their product, you have like a three-hour warranty on these things. So we walked in, the guy's like, nope. You know, nothing's happening with these. Um, you're gonna have to go through them. It didn't give us any info. Didn't say here's the number. Here's the play. Just get out. Pretty much was we're not helping you. I'm like oh okay. Even though I bought them here, all right, that's fine. That's well, fine. this Six. was prior to their acquisition of Beats. Right, right, right. So. Now it's now go shatter and go to the Apple Store because it's theirs. <laughs> but 
So then it was like, you know, $650 and two headphones. We can't help you. I'm like, oh, okay. So we leave and I'm tweeting. We're walking out of the mall at Square One here in West of Toronto. We're walking out and I, I tweet. And Alice and I are walking. I tweet. And by the time I got to the car, Beats by Dre customer service had replied. We're so sorry this has happened. We're going to take care of this for you. Please follow us so we can DM you to get some info. Now that's how you handle a tweet, right? We talk about authenticity and transparency, but immediacy is also huge. Mm-hmm. How quickly we reply to things will dictate the, the re- reception of response from the consumer. So we get to the car, and I'm like, you know what they're going to do? I look over to Allison in my snarky way. I'm like, they're just going to send me a, yeah, go here. You know, go fill it out. Go to this place or mail it. But we're not going to really help you, actually. And I get a DM, and they said, hey, Scott, again, this is Jeff at Beats. Dre, we're sorry. Uh, about this issue, uh, we will take care of you. We just have to get a, so we have to get some info from you. Uh, here's a link to our web form, and I'm like, oh, here it is. They're just shifting me away, and they're like, uh, for the warranty, and uh, we've pre-filled it out for you with what we can. Um, so it's actually your specific form. There's only a couple of things we need from you, and I'm like, oh, uh, oh, oh, they already did it for me. Okay, and I'm on the <laughs> phone, and I have the receipt because I got it at Apple. I have the email receipt. I forward it to them right there on my phone. I'm still, I'm getting in the car now. And by the time we get home, which isn't a long drive, they're like, hey, all right, we got your receipt. You're good to go. Uh, here's the address. Ship it here. And I got home. I shipped it. And I swear to you, the next week, we had a new pair. Man. And saying, you know, sorry about that. And we, were, and we had email all along the way keeping us abreast of what was going on. So now I'm the last guy who's ever going to you know, be supportive of, of, of you know, necessarily a Beats by Dre headphones. I, and I wear Bose ones. And I travel all the time. And I got my... And my fancy, I'm in business class headphones. and <laughs> But now, I like them even more. I realize they're standing behind their products. So their product has, not, has become a lot better to me and more confident in that brand. And that, that was simply the whole not running, lining up on the wrong line side of things. Yep. And they've created the priority of that immediacy, that human touch, that follow through. And so then they're able to actually deliver on it. And that's that's the big difference. That's where we we, we realize that it's a whole uh, a different different world. Speaking of Beats by Dre, by the way, I've just had Allison come sit down, so she's here now too. So yeah, surprise, say hi, Allison. Hi, hi, Allison. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, are you feeling better? Yeah, well, I am. I'm feeling well enough to sit with headphones on. Let's okay. start with that. All right. Yeah, it's, it's something in Costa Rica. Yeah, it, it was wonderful, but you you know you drank the water, you didn't you? Well, I drank some sangrias, which in <laughs> looking back at it may have had some water in them. Um, so, yeah, but, but I'm here. So we don't need to talk about it too much longer. We're probably, right. That's probably enough. <laughs> nice. Do you want me to ask you any questions or? I'm um, sure. I'm, I've been listening. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, you've been and, here. I, and I'm wearing Beats by Dre headphones. So he is actually wearing Beats by Dre headphones. Just okay. So you know. Which, by the way, Scott won't buy from me because he says I'm too old for Beats by Dre headphones. You just need to call them Apple headphones now. And oh, there we go. You, See? Rebrand Eric, Eric, them. Eric, you're, not, you're not helping. Sorry. You're not, you're not helping. I like this Eric. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been here the whole time? Um, not the whole time. Just I, now. Uh, she's, yeah, she's been hearing, she can hear me. I've been talking with the headphones. Uh, on, so now, now you're in. Okay, cool. Well, okay, so... Allison, let's yeah. see here. I was I've been talking to um let's see, in the simplest way I can put it, we've been talking about why we dislike businesses and most of the time it either comes from having silos or uh treating people like numbers and so then we were trying to scale that down to individuals and since you guys 
are the un I don't know what, what's your hey let me ask you that what is your official business name is it unmarketing unmarketing yeah. inc okay so yeah. at unmarketing inc it's a very small team how do you guys make sure you're practicing what you're preaching um, well, I think a lot of that is what Scott was talking about. Like, we, it's easier, I think, sometimes to practice what you preach when you are a small team. Because, you know, if if we don't know what's going on, then no one does. So it isn't like mm-hmm. we can make someone feel passed around. Like, it's almost impossible. And we talk to each other all the time. So it would be really hard for me not to know the answer, not be able to find out the answer, and not be able to do something about any kind of issue that came to us. Um, I think... One of the things is when, with bigger companies is they're just not honest about it. Like there's almost like this, I need to pretend like I know everything and I can do everything. And then it shows because they can't answer the questions and they can't fix the problems. So I think the first step is admitting that whatever issue comes to the company is your responsibility. Like it is your problem to fix the concern that's coming to you. And then to be honest and do what you can to fix it and be honest with the customer if you don't know the answer right away. We're all very forgiving of companies that tell the truth and try to make things better. I think. I, I think also one of the, the easiest things for us is on marketing Inc is us. There is no brand voice, meaning we haven't sat down and said, what do we want our voice to be? And I know companies have done this because I used <laughs> to run these exercises for people and I don't, there is no, what, what, what is our, our branding mission or statement? It's simply, started with what I thought about things and it's morphed into what we talk about to the point where we we have no good or bad. We don't really have a filter in how we talk and what we say because the brand is us. And there, that's why you know, when you are yourself, when you're transparent about stuff that you, you're never fearing of tripping over yourself or saying the wrong thing because, you know, mind you, we, we, we polarize and you know you push people some people away, but you can't be afraid to push people away because then you attract other people stronger. And that's our voice is our voice, and there. Uh, um, that's why the unmarketing brand is easy to do because there's no. That's why also it's not easy to replicate because it's not something like we the the podcast that we don't do research, we don't script, we don't we just start talking. And we are like yesterday we were at downtown in Oakville where we live here, and we're sitting having coffee on a patio because we don't have jobs so we're sitting there having <laughs> lattes and we're talking and we i keep looking at her like this is a bit like this is this is a part this is a show why, why are we not recording this now like that our 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 conversations are almost identical on the on the unpodcast that they are in real life and and i think that's wonderful but you also have to have that, that you know when you speak when you're working with a quote partner in something you got to be you know be, having this connection with us is is Obviously, it's you know trumps everything. It's it's so easy to do, you know, work, and I use the term loosely, that uh, we don't have to try. I think I get the impression that even if things were to like suddenly blow up real big, say unselling becomes huge, and you know, and I hope that I'm not <laughs> wrong. But uh, it, it, what if that blows up and you guys suddenly need a bunch more people? How do you kind of infuse? these extra people that you're delegating stuff to so that you can keep doing what you want to do uh, with your quote unquote, oh gosh, brand personality. I'm going to just say it. I think that a lot of the times when we talk to people who've done hiring and it hasn't 
necessarily worked out the way that they were hoping. A lot of that has to do with not knowing exactly what they wanted, like not spending the time to put, to really think about who they wanted to be working with every day. And also that then they didn't spend enough time. Like they just kind of filled the seats. They just, you know, it, every person that we work with at, at the podcast and, um, People who have who work like uh, Rebecca, who works like these are all people that we talked to first. We knew what we were looking for. We we spent time getting to know them, and then if something comes up, like if an issue comes up with someone who we work with on the podcast, we feel comfortable enough to say like, "Hey, this isn't going the way that we wanted." And you can't be afraid. Like sometimes yeah. people are so afraid to say what they don't like that they'd rather walk away from the work relationship or see things go badly than be like, hey, like this wasn't working for me. And we're not afraid to say that to people that we work with because we've already established, we work on establishing that relationship of trust first when you're hiring. And people just hire too quickly. And I think that shows in the relationship later. And that's where we get, like we say, we're, you know, there's a team of three, you know, at the company, but we actually, it's more like nine when we look at our, our contractors and stuff. Like for the podcast, that, that, that crew is actually five people when you put down to it. And here's the, the amazing thing about it. When you, how do we add people? Because they're a reflection of the brand almost as much as we are. But here's how it worked. Adam, who runs Atomic Spark, who does the video for it, we got to know him over a couple of years because he did uh, videos at conferences I spoke at. We did some kind of fun videos for it. So we got to know him that he was a really good guy. And Wayne, like I said, Wayne Cochran, uh, who does the sound for us, and does the uh, producing, got to know him because he did the audio books for Wiley for us. So we actually kind of uh, – uh, it's like a pre-trial with everybody to try them out because we only wanted good people. Because when we have fun at the show, Adam and Wayne are also fun. They work well with our personalities, so it works really well for us. Same thing with, with KiteString. Chris Farias at KiteString uh, Communications and Branding Studio in Hamilton he does, does a website. Does, uh, they designed the book cover, Front Selling, um, which is the greatest cover in history, the just uh, giant white space. It's and, the white uh, album. The white, it is, it, and it is our white album. And, uh, but he's awesome. And every person that we work with, at least who we see physically, we would hang out with. We would hang out. We would have a beer on a patio with. That's what you realize is these people that you bring into your thing, they literally you have to be able to send them out into the into public with your, your golf shirt with unmarketing ink on it and be a good representation of the company. Even if they're contractors, even if they're a subcontractor, whatever it's going to be, they still have to have that match. And we, I would say we have the luxury of it. We actually did a part, you know, on purpose. That we've, we only bring people into our circle that either we, we know, like, and trust or somebody gives us a, a kind of a high level of, of referral versus going out kind of blindly. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a luxury at all. I think it's something that you, you need to take the time to think about. Like when you, when you, one of the great things about starting out small and starting out in, in charge of things is that you get to pick the people you surround yourself with. And I think we're, we're too quick to just kind of think about money first instead of thinking about that these people are going to be a representation of your work and you're going to need to be able to go to them and trust them with concerns that you have and what you want and vision and if you look at the creative stuff that KiteString does of course they're brilliant designers that is obvious but what's underneath it is that they we've also taken time to get to know each other we've taken time to work on projects together where it's not like we we go in and 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 it just happens. There's work that happens there on both sides. And I think that that's really important. And people want to skip past that because something's less expensive. So that kind of speaks to it there is their trust in you almost reciprocal for the fact that they knew doing the white cover was going to work. Right. And yeah, they, they've worked we with fought. you. And yeah. we, we fought for that to make that cover happen. And even 
you know, when we, but we also will like with the podcast, we will, we don't ask for the stuff for free. You know, when we, and we pay for services, we also expect to get what we pay for. So we have no problem bringing something up if we don't like it. And we can't be necessarily like if we're fun and we're kind doesn't mean you can, you, you don't get what you need. You, you got to be able to speak up. And the problem is a lot of times, especially when you're small and trying to grow a bit and you start doing things for favors back and forth, you do barter and stuff, you don't want to bring up what you don't like. And that's a big thing uh, that it actually hurts things, that you got to be able to say, this is what I want, this is my expectations. And then if they're not met, you you bring that up. That's an important part, I think, for anybody who's especially you know, expanding. You know, and we're not going to get to a point where, where we want Unmarketing Inc. to have 100 people. And um, I'm not going to you know have 25 doppelgangers doing you know, bearded keynotes anytime. Well, you know, if you ever needed somebody to fill in. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like, I think that's an important thing though, because when you think about it, what Scott does isn't scalable at all. It isn't scalable. And it, and he, you know, there's a lot of travel involved. There's a lot of energy involved and, and it's him. And like, and so the most important thing you can do is think about all the other things that, you know, he can do lots of things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best way for him to spend his time. And I think I did hear the part of the conversation that was talking about taking Cliff's course Mm -hmm. and learning all of those technical things. I think one of the best things I ever did when I started my business was learning everything, like learn about everything, learn how they pack boxes, learn how you do accounting, learn how these things can happen, and then figure out what you want to spend your energy on and what people can do better than you. Just because I know how to balance my books doesn't mean I do it better than an accountant and a bookkeeper. So you need to know what what needs to be you, and it needs to be Scott on stage. And so we do whatever we can to make sure he has the energy to do that. And I don't want to endlessly scale. I don't want to build an infinite company. It's just this whole world, mm-hmm. and it's been like this since day one for me, back when I wanted to run my own comic book store when I was 13 years old. We it's could just, still do that. We could, we could still do that. Yeah. I had one customer as my my, my neighbor, <laughs> uh, and he still owes me for the comic book. So the, the, the issue is, is this, this – endless drive for more, more money, more sales. And last year's sales goal or sales, you know, you hit a million dollars last year, you, know, you get a trip to Jamaica with the sales team. And now this year, that now next year, that's your floor. Like now you got to go higher and go higher. Like success for us isn't that. I don't want to scale out and, and try to make $10 million in revenue where I'm happy with doing the number of keynotes that I do, we want sure we want books. We want to get it out there, but at the end of the day, success for us and you do have to, and you have to define that. By the way, success for us isn't building a company where in twenty years from now we're going to sell it for a lot of money and enjoy life. What we do right now is want to enjoy life now, and so we do the level we want to do and can do. I don't want to be on the road three hundred days a year and do two hundred keynotes. I can, I certainly could. I do forty a year. That's how we make money. I do keynotes, and and but I come home, and then I'm home. That's why we stopped doing consulting because that was taking up the time at home. So now I have the life that I that I want. We have the life that we want because we realize it's not about the endless drive for infinite sales. It's what you want to do to get to the point where you want to be. But realize where you want to be sometimes is where you can already be right now. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty deep, eh? I know, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I thought you were the says, deep one. No, 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 no. Everyone has all of our roles backwards anyway. But sometimes <laughs> he, he says stuff like that, like just like he'll yell it from downstairs. Uh, this, but this, but the, here you just got an inside look at the how we, you know, how we with the royal we write a book. I'll say one line like that. And I'll be like, there you go. And I'll just run back upstairs and then you'll have to make a chapter out of the whole thing. But that's how it works. And But, that, but here's this. 
the same thing though with, with strengths that I, I I come up with these kind of swooping ideas and and hook lines and thoughts, and then and and, and Allison's got a way to make that sound better and and with content and more stuff and it works really well that but again that's my strength i i I, and i believe in the things i say and the ideas that i have and like what i just said but um i just it it hurts my soul to see and i have friends of mine that will just build and build and build and build and build and then when they're done you know they'll be having a hip replaced and you know and that's when they'll start enjoying life uh and i don't i don't think that's what it's all about man so how do you guys get to the point of deciding or have you even decided maybe, you know, how, how much more do you want to grow? Um, well, I think a kind of a major milestone for us was Scott being able to not do any consulting and that have speaking be the, the main revenue source. So that was a big goal for ours over the last couple of years since we started working together. So we've actually kind of like just achieved like a really huge thing, I think, in the last couple of years and that now – Everything is about all the work we do is about you know really enjoying and researching and 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 living in the content that that we talk about and that Scott talks about so that you know he can go up on stage and that's the only way we're making money and I think that that was a really big goal and and so we just achieved something pretty huge. I think now we're kind of like figuring out some of the things we love to do the most. The podcast is definitely something that we love, um, that we would do all the time if we could. I'm, I'm glad we don't have people following us around because he wasn't kidding about, you know, telling me that it was a bit in the middle of uh, Oakville <laughs> having coffee. I think we should have a documentary crew every day, all day with us. And I do not. Because I know which one of us would come out looking good and which one of us would come out looking bad. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I think that was pretty big. I think right now we're just getting things stabilized as we grow. I think that's the other thing with growth is that the goal is often growth instead of calm. And I think sometimes that's dangerous in business. It's kind of like, we okay, we just achieved this huge thing. So Scott's able to you know focus on speaking. We don't have to do uh, contract work anymore. What are we going to do next? And I think sometimes it's just kind of like, okay, so let's, let's get everything calm. Let's focus on this. Let's see if it works and give ourselves a little time to test things out. And the podcast was a big test. It was kind of like, we've got time to do this now because Scott's not doing consulting work anymore. We've got time. Let's try this. Let's and not try it for, you know, two weeks. Let's try it for a year. Let's see if we really like doing it. Let's let's do it completely with ourselves being in charge so we can do it whenever we want to in the way we want to. And so I think that has been a huge goal, just to sit back and enjoy and test out the waters and some different things. Um so that's what I kind of see as our next thing, was was just seeing how far the the podcast is gonna take us. Yeah, we're uh, we're in talks right now with a network we won't name. Um one of the major TV networks to pick up the show. So uh, yeah, I heard uh, that when I was listening to uh, your talk with Jay. Yeah. So hey, uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll keep you posted on that. I know that's that's, that's that, awesome. But, but that you know that kind of happens out of the fact that we're not looking for it. You know that we weren't necessarily right. It's well, I got the original book deal that I wasn't looking for. It was just enjoy building your platform and using it the best way. And I think people can really tell and they can resonate with that. And people think, always want to know what's next, right? Like you, yeah. you get married, people want to know when you're having kids. You, they, they, everything's <laughs> always like, you just did something, like what's next? And I think sometimes, and it was social too, like what's next is this crazy question that people are always jumping around. And I think the last year has been this really nice space for us where we've just settled a little bit and said like, okay, let's grow slowly. Let's not constantly yeah. be grabbing for our next big thing. And and it's been really successful for us and enjoyable, I think. I, I think what what's next for us is now you're so deep thank you 
Wow. I try. Wow. But, yeah. I, but I'm tweeting that later. Thank you. Yeah, but that's <laughs> but that's it. You know, you have, and that's why um, Karen, who does all the, the the coordinating and stuff, and she, you know, she does the the contracts and the gigs. She doesn't even tell me when I get a gig. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what the, we're going to do in the next year, the number of gigs or anything else, because I can't control that. And that's the biggest thing that's gotten me in sales for since the dawn of time for me is we have sales figures and goals when we can't control getting the sale. We don't make that decision. We only can control with what we put out there that will help create the sale. So our, the goal is not controllable. And I don't think growth is necessarily a goal. Like Scott's pretty one of the things Scott says that I like, particularly as people will be talking about revenue and, and making money and he's like making money isn't a isn't a business model. Like it's not a making money isn't what you're there to do. And I think growth is kind of the same thing. Like if people love what we do and they love what our, the way we speak and the things that we say and Scott's work on stage, then growth will happen organically and in a way where we attract the right people that we want to work with and where we have time to deal with issues that come up so they don't become huge issues as opposed to, you know, growth being the goal. Because when growth is the goal, you just want to add as many people and spread yourself as thin as possible because, hey, I'm look big on the outside, but really there isn't enough connections on the inside. And I think that happens to too many companies. Making money is not a business. Well, growth for growth's sake either leaves you with a beer gut or (laughs) steroids, right? But that's it. But that, you know, looking at growth and and being able to anticipate if it happens and what you're going to do and the scale side of things. Sure. But you know, exactly growth for growth's sake. um, Isn't you you want to do stuff, create products or services that more people want. That's all right. You know, it's like we, we, you know, we don't have sales goals in, in the company. We don't all we we have content goals and, and, and creativity goals, which was, is it a book a year? Is it a podcast a week? We can control those things, but we can't control somebody booking me for a keynote. We can't control somebody buying the book. All yeah, can- it's not a good way to measure success, I think, especially I think for creative people, because, you know, your heart and your work goes into the content and then. If you if we based our success on how many people, although I I think the book is wonderful, obviously, like I'm a, it's the best book that we've ever written. I think, I think that if you if I base the success on the book on what happens in the next month or year with the book, that is a very dangerous place to put your success. I think we've already succeeded because we created a book that we're proud of and that fits with the brand that you know we've worked hard to create and that goes along with the other books. And that was always what was important to us. And so that's where the success is. And I think that otherwise you just drown. Like, I don't know how people keep up with it. And I think that's sometimes why you see, you know, a book comes out and you never hear from them again. Because <laughs> I think the success is in the success should be in that creation. Like if you, you should put something out that you're proud of that even if other people, cause, and that's one of the things Scott does really well is like what I think is, you know, he's so quick in dealing with comments about things and he is very polarizing and he's great with that. That's because he believes in the things that he says. So the success is when the, when the content is made, the success is in the statements that he makes first. So he can stand behind them when other people aren't necessarily agreeing with him. That doesn't mean that, you know, Negative feedback is great. We could talk about negative feedback all day, but I think that the success needs to be in the content, not in how people react to it. I love that, I love that you uh, – it was good. I love that you said uh, <laughs> that you're already successful because you've produced a book that you're proud of. That's it. Like, and, end of and, story. Yeah, full, full stop right there. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, that's, that's exactly the, what it is. It, yeah, doesn't, otherwise... it doesn't matter if your kids make you pancakes or not. 
Well, I would like Penn. <laughs> Which I, saw, the, I saw that tweet. So. I've actually, so I haven't told Scott yet, but we're playing fantasy football against one another this week. And I feel as though the winner should be having to get up. And I mean, the winner should get to sleep in and the loser should have to wake up and make the pancakes all week. I'm so that's looking something forward I'm to ne- sleeping in. That's something I'm negotiating. <laughs> I'm looking forward to sleeping in. I know. What kind of kid needs pancakes in the morning? Right? It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole other conversation. Uh, ah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to... It, guys, it, we're we're going over time, and that's totally cool. Because that's like our thing. If you're yeah. giving me the time, I'm taking it for sure. <laughs> um, I have a question then, which kind of pertains back to. Uh, let's see the 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 goal then is not to make the sale so much as to delight in the serving and make sure that your customer gets served. Do you guys, as a small business on Marketing Inc., have some stories like that where? Uh, you know, people like me who've listened to the podcast and read the books have shared something that you've done that's changed something for them in their life. Well, we just did something. I, we don't do it to to, to talk about, right? But, but we, you know, but we I want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we had you know somebody tweeted um, uh, two months ago and said like we it, the third book was QR codes kill kittens and. Uh, a guy tweeted kind of partially in jest and said, you know, your your book cover made my daughter cry. And I had to tell her why kittens actually weren't being killed. And uh, and I'm like, oh, dude, I'm like, can I have your address, please? <laughs> I, I, I gave him a DM. And I'm like, can I have your address? And the next day we we sent her um, um, a stuffed, like a, a, a toy kitten and said, all the kittens are okay. Not a real kitten. Not that's a real, not a good one. We didn't stuff a real kitten and send it to her. But we sent her, you know, stuff that, and, and he said, you know what, I'm going to. Uh, and I'm kind of obviously contradicting now because I'm telling you the story. But uh, wow. he said he sent me a DM and he's like, "Oh man, I can't. I didn't expect this." And she is so ecstatic and happy. And I'm going to tweet about this uh, when I get home, and, I, and I'm going to blog about it. And I said, "I don't want you to do either." You know, I said, "You do what you want," but I didn't do it so I'd get press. You know, you do it because these little moments that mm-hmm. I just think that one of the things, and that's one of the things I love about Twitter is there's little opportunities to make somebody's day. Well, that was somebody says, you know, I just got on selling, can't wait to look for, to read it and say, writing back and saying, you know, awesome, we hope you love it, to, to the, you know, those giant moments. I just think we have, I think, I think that's more of a life thing, though. I think that, you, like, I just, I get pure joy out of, of trying to, to give people joy and making their day. We do, we try to do every year with the Unmarketing Facebook page where we just started a couple years ago randomly. And we had some some money in the Amazon affiliate account, um, uh, and said, you know, put up your Amazon wish list on the unmarketing page and for Christmas, and let's see if we can get you some stuff. And you know, I got somebody a, a DVD of of the Crow to, uh, and then people started getting on there saying we actually don't have a lot of money for Christmas, and it went from spending the two hundred dollars in the Amazon you know account that I've got uh, to you know three four thousand dollars. Um, for making people's Christmases all, all over North America, if not the world. And it was amazing. But last year we did the same thing again. But we had all the kids sitting around and they helped. And we picked people. And But the, the, the even greater part of that whole thing was that when people were all posting their wish lists in there, people started jumping in buying for other people. Uh, see that? See, and that. Make it, dang it. <laughs> Getting so, a little choked up. So somebody would say, you know what? And it was, but we didn't say only if you need it. We're like, you know, let's have some fun. If you, hey, you wanted a, a book or a, 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 an action figure or something you always wanted, but it's on you, just throw it up there. And so when we buy a $10 thing for somebody, they go back and say, oh, I can't believe I'm gonna, it's, I got a shipping notification. I'm going to get somebody else who wants something. And it just became this giant thing, much bigger than us. And then people started sending photos. 
of the, when they got the, the 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 Christmas or the the person got the couch or the baby carrier and the toy and like you know, how do you you'll put a price on that? Yeah, that's awesome. I'm pretty sure that's the, that's why Scott works because like he's like the, honestly and he's gonna get all like funny but he's like the most generous person in the whole world and anyone who's friends with him knows that like he's very generous and i'm pretty yeah. sure he stands up on stage just so he has enough money to do that so yeah, yeah, that's but, scott but yeah we don't we don't talk about it. <laughs> see we don't. i can make him like i can make him not know what to say that's the other reason he keeps me around <laughs> most people can't do that but no it's something that we love doing you don't i don't think i think the reason that Scott's been successful in social is because he likes, like, whether he likes to say he likes people or not, it's not really <laughs> part of his brand. But you know, he likes people and he likes connecting with people and getting to know people. And I don't, I don't, give, I don't like people. I love good people. <laughs> there's, there's a difference. I hate people and I love good people, right? And I think that a lot of times, good people in this world don't always have good things happen. Yeah, and I think we forget that people see. I mean, there's a lot of like people will say negative things about Facebook or Instagram or things about presenting great pictures of yourself. Like, you know how people kind of there's kind of this like negative feedback yeah, thing yeah. about like you should present the real you like you shouldn't present yourself on your best day. And that kind of bothers me because I'm like we all in life present try to present ourselves on our best day when you go outside when you that's just human. Right. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember that other people see that and they 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 see things and you have to present yourself in kindness and know that that's not necessarily real, that everybody, no matter what they look like and their pictures and stuff is, has some kind of struggle and get to know them and don't just make assumptions. Everybody has a story. From the outside. And Sherry Lynn on Costa Rica, our, our friends, a photographer reminded me of that quote, right? Don't compare your demo reel to somebody's highlights. You know, yeah. Because all we see is the good usually on social and, uh, and I, you know, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got, going through something. And yeah. uh, I think I think if we can do something every day to make somebody's day, it's just that's just math. It's just science, you know. If, yeah. you just, if we do something to make every, somebody else's day all the time, I I just think the world's we we fix the world. And I, it's like the it's like the ALS ice bucket challenge thing where I, I was brought on to comment on a bunch of different media things about about it, and people started getting sick of it. And I actually originally judged it in a, a negative way. I thought I thought people were you either donate a hundred bucks or you dump ice on your head and you don't donate. Right. I, I, I thought that was wrong, but I realized it was not the case. And then people started saying, well, I'm sick of it. And I'm like, if that really, we're sick of that. We're sick of bringing awareness and money to a, a actual horrible disease. It doesn't get a lot of coverage anyways. Like that's what we're going to pick is the bad thing today. Like it, we're helping people. And Hey, so we get, we get some attention because we dump ice on our heads. Who cares? It's a good thing. And I just think it's a, and I'm just waiting for the books to come out and the, you know, how to, how, what is your ice bucket, how to virally market your business like an ice bucket challenge and all that stuff. And, and then I'll hate people again. But until that <laughs> well, time, it's I've good. already seen the post. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. And I'm just waiting for that book. It's going to, and they're going to put it beside on selling and then we're going to have to throw it away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, well, and that, again, that goes back to the whole, you know, somebody's, you know, how many life lessons behind what Robin Williams death and all the other. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's the, it's putting numbers before humans. The, the top five career transition tips before, that you learned from Robin Williams. That's that came out the day we lost him. Yeah. Terrible. And that, that last transition was a killer. Oh, terrible. Right. But Too that's, soon. yeah, exactly. But that's, it's just, it's why, why do people, <laughs> every yeah. event is not a leverage opportunity. Most events are not leverage yeah. opportunities, yeah. right? Well, there's, I mean, and, and so let, I think we should maybe close on this is you do things for others because it's the right thing to do, not with the expectation of reciprocity. 
That's it. But that's there. There it is, right there. I think actually the best things we do for other people, we never get to see what the reciprocity would be anyway. It's like you what, just no. don't see how you affect, how you influence people on a day to day basis. You don't, you don't see that. That's and sometimes yeah. in the most important situations, you don't see it, There's, and you should need morals. to. And that's morals. What, yeah. what what you do when nobody's looking. Yep. You know what I mean? And 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 it's that expectation of um, it's like the person tweeting that they held the door open for somebody and they didn't get a thank you. Yeah. It's not why. It's not why you hold it open. No, and that's why the, the, the value in it needs to be in you doing what you know is the right thing to do and not in what happens in return. That's the whole danger in focusing on the returns is that that's not the why behind it. Yeah, bingo. It goes beyond the brand. It goes beyond reputation. It's integrity. Yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. You might not like what we have to say, but the integrity is solid, <laughs> I think. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> Well, I, Allison, I'm glad you got to join us. This has yeah, been even too. cooler once you jumped in. Not that oh, don't tell Scott, him that. Yeah, well. I won't be invited on any other podcast. <laughs> I know, I know, I know where I stand. In my hey, I knew that. I, I knew I wanted both of you. I was a little let down, and then, yeah. now, and then my expectation wasn't there. So it was like, oh yay, she's here. Yeah, so, I'm uh, also glad to be feeling better. <laughs> that's awesome. Let's uh, let's tell people where to go grab the book and the podcast and everything else because they really need to just do that. I think. I was just going to tell them where to go, but Do it. If, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, uh, tell them where to go, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, on podcasts is the show. Uh, Unmarketing dot com is the site, and uh, unselling is the book, and that is available wherever fine books are sold. Awesome. This this has been the unpodcast pseudo show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Allison, for being Thank on the show. You. Thanks, Eric. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope that you got where I was going with this. The thing is, is that even if you couldn't see the threads of how Scott and Allison's perspective on growth and doing their work attached to the way they talk about and live and breathe and do, quote unquote, marketing, which is really just people talking to people. And helping people. <laughs> it's that simple. If, if you didn't see that, then that's fine. But, you know, if you, if you are all about having a, again, paradigm shift, a perspective shift when it comes to how that whole thing can be done, then I highly suggest you check out their podcast, The Unpodcast. Thanks again for listening. This has been one of my favorite episodes. I hope it has been one of yours as well. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to share it with others, tweet me at E-R-I-K, letter J, F-I-S-H-E-R. Tweet Scott at Unmarketing and Allison at UnAllison on Twitter. Let us all know your thoughts on this episode. And thanks again for listening. I'll see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast.
theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome. Laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx.